special day in the life of our church. It's the day that we set aside once each year to make our pledges for Faith Promise Missions. That determines how many missionaries that we're going to be able to take on during this year, what we're going to be trusting God to give us that we might give uh, to missions this year. In your bulletin this morning, you'll find a Faith Promise card. If you're our guest this morning, we don't intend for you to do anything with that. Uh, you're our guest, but if you are, you consider this your church home, then we certainly hope that you've been praying about uh, what God would have you to do and trust that you've already filled that out. But if you have not filled that out, we will be taking this at the conclusion of the service. So if you'll fill that out, have it ready at the appropriate time, uh, we'd be so blessed by that. I always look forward to our Faith Promise Missions Conference because of the ability to have missionaries with us and to find out what's going on around the world. And It's a special privilege to have Dave and Bonnie Jones uh, with us this morning. Baptist Bible Fellowship Missionaries to the field of Tanzania, East Africa. It wasn't until I was looking back through our older Faith Promise programs that I noted that uh, Dave was our very first speaker at our very first uh, missions conference in 1990. So it's a blessing to have him back with us. That's been more years than either one of us really care to think about. But they've been faithful on the field, serving there, done great things for God, and we're looking forward to hearing from them this morning. Dave, I want to welcome you to the pulpit. You welcome them, and uh, sit back and enjoy what they're going to share with us today.
It is so good to be here with you this morning at First Baptist Church. And I would first of all like to introduce the woman who has been holding my cup of water for the last 32 years. That is my lovely wife, Bonnie. Would you please stand? If you're in the Sunday school hour, you know what I mean, holding my cup of water. She's taking all the stress that I've been bearing these last years in ministry. And, and I don't think sometimes that missionary wives get near the credit that they deserve. And uh, after Vicki's presentation this morning, I'm excited about pure joy coming over to Tanzania and ministering to some of our, our uh, missionary families in Tanzania because I think they need it. And we all need it from time to time, don't we? And by the way, Judy, I need to talk to you after the service because we truly are homeless at this time. And uh, we, uh, w- when we left Tanzania at the end of December, we had all of our we were living in a village out among the Wazigua tribe. And due to some circumstances, we got word just a few weeks ago that we had to move out of that village. And some people went in there and packed up all of our belongings. And we don't even know for certain where they are at this time. And so when we go back to Tanzania, we're not sure where we'll be. And so maybe Bethlehem House can be a help to us during this time in our life. It has been a challenging and yet an amazing adventure living and ministering in East Africa this past, these past 25 years. But I want you to listen up, young people. We praise God and give Him the glory for all that He has done, and we would not trade our life these past 25 years for a life of wealth. We would not trade our life for a life of fame. It's, uh, it's just been amazing to see God work in our lives and use us in all of our weakness to do something for His kingdom and for His glory. It's kind of like the old rancher said that when you're driving down a country road and you see a fence post and on top of that fence post is a turtle, uh, you know one thing about that turtle. You may not know where it came from and you may not know how it got there, but one thing you know for sure, he did not get up there by himself. And that's the way we feel. Uh, our time does not permit this morning to tell you our history and our story and all of uh, how we got to where we are these past 25 years in serving the Lord in Tanzania. But like the proverbial turtle, one thing I can tell you for certain, it's only by God's grace and His power and because of the faithful prayer and support of people like you here at First Baptist Church of Bologna that have enabled us to serve God there in East Africa. Thank you so much for partnering with us these past 24 years as you have done. And I want you as you consider what God is going to lead you to give in the Faith Promise Missions offering today to be encouraged and remember the words of the Apostle Paul when he spoke to the Philippians about supporting him as a missionary and the work that he was doing. He said, when you do that, you are putting credit in your spiritual account. And so for every disabled child that has been helped with a wheelchair and for the first time in life been mobile, for every villager that's received famine assistance and during a time of hunger and kept alive, for every orphan child who's received a home and known the love of Jesus, for every church that has been planted, and certainly for every Tanzanian man, woman, and child that's come to know Jesus as Savior, folks, This is credit in your spiritual account. And so give from your heart as God leads you. Knowing that 
our resources are only temporary in this life, but when we invest in things of eternal consequence, we are investing in our spiritual account that will last for all eternity. The title of my message this morning is, Have You Answered the Call? And it comes from Judges chapter 6, if you'll turn in your Bibles there. Have you answered the call? Now I want to begin this morning with three biblical presuppositions. The first one is this. God has a plan and a purpose for every believer. This morning, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have been made His child. The Word of God says that He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Jeremiah chapter 21, 29 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. He did not save you, redeem you from your sins, simply so you can enjoy your Christian life and wait for His return to take you one day to eternity in heaven. No, He saved you because He has a purpose and a plan for your life. The second presupposition is, presupposition is this. God's plan for you is specific, not general. Now, the Bible says many things about what God's plan for us is. We know from Romans that we're not to be conformed to the world and we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. We read in 1 Corinthians 10 that everything we say and do is to be for the glory and honor of God. But it goes beyond that. God has individually, specifically given every one of us abilities, talents, spiritual gifting, and He has equipped us for some specific task in this life. For instance, if God has given you the gift of administration and you have the ability to lead people, well, certainly He doesn't have in mind for you to go punch a clock in a factory every day at 8 o'clock till 5 o'clock and, and on an assembly line weld an arm component to the frame of an office chair. He's got something more in mind for you. He has a specific task that He has equipped you to do. That's why He told Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter number 1, that before you were even conceived, I knew you. And before you were born, I had set you apart for a special task, a purpose. Now, the third presupposition is critical to the message this morning, and it's this. Your purpose in life, God's special plan for you, somehow, in some way, involves the final command of Christ. When he said in Acts chapter number 1, verse 8, before departing this world, that you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth, he gave that command to his apostles. And we know from reading in Ephesians chapter number 2 that those apostles formed the foundation of the church. And so that commission of Christ we have inherited both corporately as a church and individually as believers, it is our responsibility to take the gospel to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors, to our community, to our nation, and to the nations beyond that do not know Christ. And so whatever God's task for you is, in the special way that He has equipped you, you know one thing about that. It somehow relates to the great commission, the command that God has given to us. It's our responsibility that over one billion people in the world today have never heard of Jesus? It is your and my responsibility that 950 million Hindus in 
India and Pakistan and Bangladesh and Sri Lanka are worshiping a multitude of gods that are only images, idols, carved from stone and wood, and they do not know the one and true God. It's our responsibility that over 3,000 tribes on the continent of Africa are still steeped in animism, and they live their lives in daily fear of the spirit world because they do not know that there is freedom, forgiveness, and deliverance from darkness in Jesus. It's our responsibility that 1.3 billion Muslims living in the Middle East are living without Christ and we have no clear strategy of how to reach them. And so I want us to understand as we look at the life of Gideon this morning that God somehow wants to involve you in this work on a local level, on a community level, on a nationwide level, or on a world global level, God wants you somehow to be involved. It may be being a substitute teacher in the public school so you can share Christ with the students. It may be ministering at the Bethlehem home so that you can show Christ's love to the homeless. It may be that God wants you to be a counselor in the youth department of this church so you can model what it means to serve God and be a a model Christian with a worldview. I'm glad that God has called some businessmen to join the board of our son's business so that he can be a missionary in a restricted access nation in North Africa. Whatever God has for you, you see, somehow has to connect to his great command. And so with these things in mind, I pose the question to all of us this morning. Have we answered the call? Now, when we look at the life of Gideon, I think it's very appropriate because Gideon is a lot like you and me. The call of God, or when God gave him the task to do for his life, it came at a time that was not convenient for him. And it came at a time of economic hardship. It came at a time when his people were oppressed and and when they were being terrorized. And it was a time when Gideon personally was having a difficulty in his life And yet that's when God chose to speak to him. And he struggled with the call of God. So this morning we're going to look at how he struggled and how we struggle too. And if you would read sometime verse 3 to 5, it sets the backdrop for this account. And what is happening here is the Midianites and the Amalekites, they're coming and swarming the land of Israel at time of harvest. And they are raping the country of all of their grain. They're taking their livestock. They're even stealing their children. And after seven years of this terrorism, the Israelites are hiding in dens and caves in the mountains and they're they're trying to hide what little grain they have and livestock and their family in fear of the Midianites. Let's take it up now in verse number 11 and read. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joas the Abiazrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites, Then the Lord turned to him and said, and here it goes, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. 
Have I not sent you? Now, I want us to note something before we get into all of Gideon's excuses that he begins to offer, and that is this. When God speaks to Gideon, and he calls him a mighty man of valor, Gideon is hunkered down in the winepress for fear of the Midianites. And he's beating out a little bit of wheat so he can take that grain to his family in hiding and get them through another day. And so Gideon is a lot like you and me. He's not some superhuman. He's just a normal, common, everyday Joe. He's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. He's not the quickest bunny in the forest. He's just a normal guy. And in fact, he's a bit of a coward. And yet God says, you mighty man Valor! There's a lesson here for us. And it's this. You know, God doesn't really see us for who we are now. But God sees us for who we will become when we just say yes and obey Him. I take great comfort in that. But when the call came to Gideon, he, he wasn't ready to say yes. I mean, he started to offer up these excuses. And I want to look at three of those this morning. Number one, the first excuse that he offered is this. He said in verse number 13, Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? His first excuse was this. I've never experienced. Experienced God, your great power like other people have. You see, I'm sure that Gideon had heard from his forefathers all the accounts of the Israelites and how Moses had delivered the people from Egypt and God parted the Red Sea and they crossed on dry land. I'm sure he knew all of this. But in his lifetime, and in his life personally, he hadn't seen the great acts and powerful workings of God. And I believe that Gideon had come to the place in his life where he was even starting to question the reality of God's power for him. And so he says, Where are you, God? I've not seen your power. Maybe that's you this morning. You've read the Scriptures, and you've read the great accounts of miraculous things that God has done. You've maybe heard of missionaries coming across the platform and and telling about great things that God's doing here and there around the world. You may have even heard the testimony of some believers, members from First Baptist that say, man, I just want to praise God for what He's doing in a mighty way in my life. But you, personally, you've just not seen it. And maybe you've even been begin to, to question Is God really real and powerful for me today? Oftentimes we say no when God comes knocking for that reason. It's because we just have some doubts. And we're a little afraid to put put our life on the line and say yes and step out in faith. Well, this is important, and I want you to fill in this blank if you're following in the notes. It's this. Fear is the normal reaction when God calls us to a task. Will you take heart in that? It's just normal. Uh, I'll never forget, we'd just been in Tanzania a couple years, and, and Alex Miwela came running up to the house, sweating and out of breath, and he knocked on the door and he said, Missionary, you've got to come. 
He said, the evil spirits have taken Agatha out into the bush and she's been lost all night long. And this morning we found her completely naked and her body was, was, was contorting in all these different and evil voices were coming from her mouth and we carried her home and we held her down and we surrounded her with all the believers from the church and we've been praying for hours but nothing is helping. Would you come? Now, can I be honest with you? My first reaction was not, oh man, this is awesome. I am finally going to get to engage in spiritual warfare that I've only read about right here in the bush of Africa. That was not my response. Inside, my heart started racing and the adrenaline was running through my body and I started to be filled with all kinds of questions. Is my walk with God good enough? that I can go and be used of Him in this kind of circumstance? What's going to happen if I walk into that mud hut among those believers and I get run off by these demons? I was fearful. I was scared. And that's a normal reaction when God calls us to a task. But I want you to look at God's response to Gideon in verse number 14. This is good. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? He said, I know you're weak in faith. I know you're doubting. I know this is scary for you. But Gideon, just obey and go in what strength you have. I am going to be with you. And if God's speaking to you about somehow getting involved in the Great Commission, somehow finding your task in this life that's going to mean something for all eternity, and you're fearful, you're doubting, and you really haven't seen God's hand working mightily in your life in a long time. Listen, just say yes. Obey. And I promise you, you will start to see things that you never dreamed possible in your life. Well, I wish I could tell you that Gideon was ready to go, but he's still not. And so he offers his second excuse, and we find that in verse number 15. Look at this. So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. His second excuse, he said, you know what? I'm nobody. I can't do this. Who am I? And he was right. If you study the Scriptures all throughout the Old Testament, there is not one instance of a great man or great woman of God coming from the tribe of Manasseh. And Gideon said, my family is the lowest. It's the least of this tribe. And not only that, Gideon said, I am the youngest in my family. If you know anything about Jewish culture... The youngest is like the low man on the totem pole, the least likely to succeed. And so Gideon is saying here, do you know who you're talking to? (laughs) I can't do this. I'm nobody. And if you don't get anything else this morning, I want you to get this. It's in your notes. It's a principle that we find all throughout Scripture, and it's something we know of God. God delights in using weakness. Let me repeat that. 
God delights in using weakness. Do you realize that each one of the judges in the Old Testament that wrote the books of the Bible, every one of them had a major character flaw? And so God did not use these men because they were great men. He used them in spite of their weakness. When God chose a spokesman to stand on behalf of the Israelites before Pharaoh, do you know who he chose? Moses a man with a speech impediment. He couldn't even speak, and he had to have Aaron come and speak on his behalf. When a king was chosen for the nation of Israel, David, the runt of the litter, the, the, the youngest of all of Jesse's sons, was chosen. And the great prophet Amos. You know the book of the Bible, Amos? Listen to these words. Amos said, I am not a prophet nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go. Isn't that amazing? That God reaches down and chooses the weakest among us to do great things in His hand. And even Jesus in His earthly ministry, he chose 12 of the most unlikely men that would eventually turn the world upside down. God has been showing me this lesson over and over again. Would you look at that verse that's in your notes? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, and it says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. God delights in using weakness. I put together a little video I want to show you of one of those instances in our ministry in Tanzania when God once again was reminding me, it's not about you, Dave. I want all the glory. That's why I delight in using weakness. Watch this. I think you'll like it. been so physically, mentally, and spiritually tired that you just feel like you've come to the end of yourself, well, this is my story. It's a story that begins with a long six-hour drive to our most remote work among the Maasai in the village of Kwerigole. As we made our way into the bush that day, little did we know what God had in store. Quetigoli is led by our own homegrown missionary, Daniel Ekunga, a product of our city church in Dar es Salaam. Through his faithful ministry, the church was growing, and I had been asked to come and teach, baptize, and meet with the village elders. It was a super day, the type of day that missionaries dream of. hours we hold water from a distant well for the baptism.
morning service went long and stretched well into the afternoon. People responded to the invitation for salvation. After the services, 24 men and women followed the Lord in believers' baptism. Pastor, he said, I've scheduled us to go to another village this afternoon and people are waiting. Well, reluctantly and a little bit exasperated, we loaded up the truck and began the one-hour journey to another village called El Arai. At El Arai, the Maasai follow their age-old traditions and beliefs. Drinking fresh blood from the neck of a slaughtered cow. <laughs> Praying for blessing and protection from evil spirits. Dancing to the cadence of their time-honored song. Oh, <laughs> 
salvation in Christ. As we neared the village, the evidence of drought was all around. In two years, the village had not seen a drop of rain. Livestock were dying. The people were hungry. The village was at the point of desperation. We had been invited by the elders to pray for rain. As we pulled into the village that day, we were met by several hundred villagers singing and welcoming us to the village uh, to a special meeting. And it was then that Daniel informed me that I was to lead in a service, deliver a message from the Bible, and lead the entire village in prayer for rain. I'll be honest with you, I had nothing left. I was beat, wasn't prepared, and here were all these people gathered around in hope and desperation for rain. I was a little bit upset with Daniel for overscheduling our day, committing us to something I wasn't ready for, and springing this on me at the last minute. So in my heart I told God, Lord, I've got nothing. These people are looking to me for help when they need to be looking to you. Um, just help me to get through this. Well, we sang and then I opened my Bible and preached a very simple message about thirst and the need for water and Jesus Christ, the water of life. And then we prayed. Honestly, there was nothing special or powerful about my prayer. In fact, as I was leading in prayer, I felt ashamed that I didn't have more faith myself that God would answer. We finished the meal. They presented us with gifts of beaded crosses and bracelets. We ate goat again. But just before dark, the elders took us around the mountain to pray over their drying wells. And it was then that the unbelievable happened. Clouds rolled in and precipitation began to fall. A light shower at first and, and then the heavens opened. The rain came down in sheets. It rained so hard that we were forced to use four-wheel drive to return to the village. The village elders were laughing and jumping up and down like children, standing in the rain and clapping for joy. For the first time in two years, it was raining. God had brought rain to El Arai. As we drove away from the village, the village elders were shouting to Daniel and saying, Mungu wenuni, mungu Your God, He is God. And He listens when you pray.
that amazing? And after God opened that door in the village of El Arai, several months later we were able to take a team and go back to that village with a generator and the gospel film uh, Jesus in Kimasai. And after the invitation, a large number of men, Maasai Marans, gave their life to Jesus Christ. Folks, listen. God doesn't use us because we're strong, not because of our abilities. God uses us in spite of our weakness. And maybe as you sit here this morning, God's been speaking to you about what He wants you to do. Commitment He wants you to make. That somehow ties in with the Great Commission. And you've been thinking just like Gideon, you know, I'm nobody. I'm not able. I'm here to tell you that the only words you need to hear are the words that God gave Gideon, verse number 16. Would you look at that with me? The Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. And you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. God says to you, as he said to Gideon, if you will just take that step of faith and say yes and obey, I'll be with you. I'll show my power and my might in your life in ways you've never dreamed just because you say yes. After all of this, and you would think that by now, Gideon would be ready to say yes to God's invitation to join him and to work. But he wasn't. And so like you and me, he continued to struggle with this. And I want you to see finally what happens in verse number 17 to 18, his third excuse. Verse 17 says, then he said to him, if, if now I have found favor in your sight, then just show me a sign that it's you who talk with me, God. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I'll wait until you come back. Gideon's not convinced. Even after all of this and the reassurances, he said, listen, just bear with me. Could could you give me a sign? I mean, could you just verify that it's you, God, that's speaking to me? And I'm so glad that God's patient with us. You know, he he, he realizes we're weak, we're doubting, we, we don't have the faith we need, and so... The angel of the Lord is patient and says, I'll wait. I'm going to give you the sign. And I don't even think that's necessarily wrong when we put out that fleece before God and say, listen, I just want you to confirm this in my life before I take that step of faith. And God often does that for us, and I'm so glad. We don't have time to look at those signs, but can I just point out one lesson that I think is important to us? Look what happens in verse number 19, what Gideon does. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. Here's what Gideon does. He goes back. He takes what the Bible says is an ephah of flour. That's 35 pounds, by the way, ladies. You can make a ton of bread with that. He kills the best goat in his herd. And I'll remember, this is a time where there's famine because of all of the terrorism by the Midianites. And so this is quite a sacrifice for him. But he kills and dresses his very best goat, and he makes the bread, and he concocts a a wonderful, delicious broth and puts it in a pot. And he takes these things, and he sets them before the angel of the Lord. And I'm sure that Gideon is thinking in his mind, man, now I have done my very best. I have put on the dog for this angel of God I have given my best and I have sacrificed to offer to him. But you know what 
the angel of the Lord does. He told him to pour it out. Now, can you imagine, ladies, if you had worked for hours to prepare a special meal, Pastor Hamby's coming over with his wife, and you have labored to just, I mean, do your, you've used your best recipe, and you've got everything, the table set, and when the pastor comes over and it's time to finally eat, he says, listen, would you just pour that out on the ground? How would that make you feel? Look what happens here in, in, in uh, verse number 20. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat, the unleavened bread, and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Wow. You see, Gideon got his sign, didn't he? There was never a doubt anymore that this was from God. Because the Bible says that fire came out of the rock and consumed that food, that offering. But I think Gideon also got a lesson. And it's a lesson that God wants you and I to get this morning. And it's this. God doesn't really need our goat. (laughs) He's God. He doesn't really need the bread that we can make with our hands. He's not really looking for the things that we can give to Him. God wants you. Because you see, when God gets you and He gets your heart, then God has your family. And God has your work. And God has your resources. He's got your talents and your gifts when He gets you. And you say yes in obedience to His call. Well, you know the rest of the story, don't you? That Gideon fell on his face and worshipped the angel, worshipped God, and in the end, God chose to use this weak, fearful, doubting, common man to save the nation of Israel from the Midianites. What about you? Have you said yes as God has spoken to you? I want to encourage you this morning, in spite of your hesitancy, the fear that you may feel, the uh, just not really knowing if God's going to come through or not, I want to encourage you. Just say yes. Just say yes as God speaks to you about what He wants you to do, what part He wants you to play, that somehow ties in with the great commission He's given to us as a church to take the gospel to our neighbors and our community and to the nations. And when you take that step of faith and say yes, then you will begin to see the hand of God like you've never seen it before. And one day it will be you standing up here giving testimony of the mighty things you've seen God do in your life. Would you bow your head with me as we reflect this morning on how God in His Spirit is speaking to each one of us. If you've come to this service this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and God's Spirit is speaking to you this morning, you're lost in your sin. You need salvation 
Can I encourage you to come forward at the invitation in a little bit? And someone will show you from the Bible how you can be saved today and inherit eternal life. But if you've already become a child of God, I believe God's brought you to this place this morning for a reason. And if He's speaking to you about saying yes in any area of your life, service, giving, just obey. I want to pray for you right now. Father in heaven, we thank you because the work that we do is from you. And we believe with conviction that you have called all of us to participate in Christ's final command to his church. Right now, I want to pray for any young person, any man or woman who has come to this auditorium this morning lost and does not know you, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them and convict them of their sin And that they would obey and say, yes, today is the day of my salvation. And I also want to pray this morning, Father, for the members of this church. As every one of them considers how you are speaking to them. That they would say, yes. God, give us the faith we need to trust you. And just obey. And I know that you will reward us for that. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.